What's up, guys? It's good to see everyone. I'm excited for tonight. I, uh, I'm kind of a Bible nerd these days. Like, I really find interesting the uh, you know, complexities of the scriptures, and that's just something that I, I find interesting right now. But um, by far and away, the most uh, popular messages I've ever given have dealt with my daughter. And, uh, and so I think I did one, one streak of like 10 straight messages, like I'm milking it now. And, and so like I thought I overdid it, but ever since then I always had people, I want you to share about your daughter some more. And so anyway, so I'm going to share about my daughter tonight. And uh, the scripture tonight is Luke 18, 17. And here Jesus is describing how to receive the gift of salvation. Luke 18, 17, Jesus is talking about how do you receive salvation, and he uses the metaphor of a child. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before your word, and Lord, we just celebrate the goodness of your presence and your promises over us. And God, we just ask we'd hear from you tonight. Lord, we want to be an effective people who share you and share the good news about you and see people come to you. And God, we ask that you would just enlighten our eyes and our minds, God, to the best ways in which we can represent you and to increase the family of God. We just declare increasing family of God here in this place. And Lord, would you just show us your tender mercies and how we can demonstrate them to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So receive the kingdom like a child. Now, as a father of a three-year-old, this passage can mean many things. When I think of receiving the kingdom like a child, the first thought was like, do I need to wear a frozen princess dress? Do I need to be obsessed with Little Mermaid? Do I need, like, you know, all these connotations of a child, especially my child. She's very unique. And so that might mean a lot of different things, and, and I won't get into what it means to receive it, but I want to draw attention to when Jesus says, if you receive the kingdom, you must receive it like a child. It implies something. It implies that the kingdom was communicated to you like a child. If you're like me, you have a tendency to whack people over the head with the Bible or maybe a Bible verse. I, I can't even like listen to music anymore without kind of getting perturbed about certain details, and it's a stronghold I'm wrestling with. But I have, and increasingly, as I've studied the Word and I've studied theology, I get into like the Greek and I get into like the minutia that for 99% of all you guys it probably bores you to tears. For me, I've lost track sometimes of the simplicity of Christ. In my interest, in my passion for the Scriptures, it's easy to get removed from the simplicity of the devotion to Christ. Second. Corinthians says that he's praying to the church. He says, I pray that you have not been deceived like Eve and that the devil has drawn you away from the simplicity of Christ. Meaning that there's complexity within Christianity that is actually the work of the devil. If Satan can confuse you by the things of God, he's rendered you ineffective. And, he, and the call for us to keep the simplicity of Christ before us is paramount. And so what I believe this passage is really saying, I'm not going to speak on how do you receive the kingdom, I'm going to talk about how do we share the kingdom. How do we share the kingdom as unto a child? If someone's going to receive the kingdom like a child, we need to share the kingdom unto a child. Are you with me? And so three weeks ago, on May 23rd, you guys know I like Michael Jordan, right? All right, we're going to come back to that. Number 23, I'm like, huh. 
Anyways, I don't believe in like really coincidence numbers, but maybe I'll make an exception for this one. Anyways, three weeks ago, May 23rd, I prayed with Scarlett, my three-year-old daughter, to receive Jesus into her life. Three years old. And it was a staggering, amazing experience for me. And immediately after, I went like, I dictated everything that I tried to like remember everything that happened. And I'm going to share that story with you guys tonight. So the story goes to every single night, my wife and I, we divide and conquer. I go take the three-year-old little toddler girl, and we play games. We jump on the bed. We play monkeys, bonk their heads, all that good stuff. And then we, we lay down, and we sing, we pray. We do these different things. And so usually she asks for encores, you know. <laughs> and so uh, after singing, Jesus Loves You, it's the song I've been singing for a long time to her. Uh, we prayed, and I asked her, Scarlett, do you want to pray? No. She's been saying no forever. No problem. It's like, Scarlett, do you know who Jesus is? It's like, yeah. It's like, who's Jesus? He's God. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> really? She's like, yeah. It's like, what else do you know about Jesus? Uh, he lived in a cave. Like, well, kind of. <laughs> he was in a cave. What else do you know? Uh, he was really sad. It's like, why was he sad? Because he's in a cave. It's like, can I tell you about Jesus? She's like, sure. It's like, so, you know, Jesus is in a cave. Do you know why? Because he was sad. Well, it's because he died. And this is the first uh, experience I've actually shared with her about death. It was the very first time I, I, I'm, I'm going to get into why that was complicated for me. I'm like, but he was in the cave because he died. Why did he die? Because people were mad at him. Why were people mad at him? Because Jesus loves everybody, and he wants everybody to love him, and that made people mad. And so he died? Yep, he died. And the people who were mad at Jesus put him in the cave. So they put him in the cave? Oh, yep. But you know what? After he was in the cave, he became alive again. Really? He was alive. Where is he? I don't see him. I haven't seen him. Well, he's alive in daddy. He's alive in mommy. He's inside me, in, inside nana and papa and grandma and grandpa really? It's like, yeah. It's like, and guess what, Scrub? Because Jesus is no longer in the cave, he's alive in me. I get to talk to Jesus. I talk to Jesus all the time, and he talks to me. I want to talk to Jesus. It's like, you can talk to him too if you want. But you know what? Jesus wants to talk to you, but he also wants to live inside you just like mommy and daddy. She's like, I want that too. It's like, do you want to go get mommy? She's like, yeah. So, like, I ran into, you know, grab, and so obviously now, like, an hour's passed, I think, since I started the bedtime routine. It's, like, 9 o'clock, and I'm a, also a sucker for these encores in the bedtime routine. So, my wife sees me come out, like, I'm, like, come here, and she's, like, she's not to bed yet, you know? So, we come in, and I, you know, kind of repeat all the different things. And so, together, we prayed, and she was very, very sweet. And we went through the entire prayer, and she prayed, and we were all happy, and it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. And then something funny happened. She's like, and this is after Camille left. She's like, Daddy, yeah. can I pray for Ariel to be in my heart too? <laughs> so, well, Ariel's not re real. Well, yes, she is. Well, I, I, gosh, man, I, I've never had to explain the difference between real things and not real things, you know? And, and so we had this amazing dialogue, and I'm going to show the details of that dialogue. But in this time and through this process, 
I experienced the moment that I'd been anticipating ever since we found out that she was in, in Camille's tummy, which was February 17th, 2011, which is Michael Jordan's birthday. So anyways, <laughs> told you it was like weird. <laughs> so how... <laughs> I anticipated this day more than any other day because I wondered how would it come about and I reflect on my own journey to Jesus. I reflect on my own devotion to Jesus and I, I wrestle with how do I best as her father point her to Jesus and tonight is what I want to share about what I learned in that journey and I believe that this takes us back to simplicity in order that we can share Jesus with the world as unto a child. And the first thing I learned in this process is to lead with love. Being someone who talks about Jesus regularly, you know, runs around like Christian circles, have a lot of Christian friends, and like there's actually a lot of pressure for your child to get saved. You know, like you want them to be on good behavior and those different things. And so I resisted my entire time. Like I, I don't want to like make it anything about the love of Jesus. And so the first thing with my daughter in Jesus was that I always wanted her to know that Jesus loves her and that I love her. If you think about it, love is the very first concept any human being actually can come in contact and understand in their life. As a child, a child is, is told, I love you over and over and over and over again. It's the most familiar concept that any child, any human being knows at the earliest age is love. And so one tradition that I had that my parents gave to me was that they always sing Jesus Loves You to me every single night. And so when Scarlett was born, and that was one of my earliest memories growing up, and so when Scarlett was born, I decided I'm going to keep this tradition going. It was great, and like sometimes you'd sing Jesus Loves You, and I wish Jesus would put you to sleep, and so you could go to bed now. You know, like, you know, it's been sung happily, and it's been sung not happily. But it's been this this tradition, this routine, every single night, I actually went and grabbed my calculator, and I'm like, okay, on average, I do two, sometimes up to seven times, I calculated vacation days. I've actually calculated, I probably sang that song 5,000 times in the past three years. I've sang it a lot. And that has been almost the exclusive topic of Jesus I've ever shared with her. We've had things here and there, a little book with the, you know, the really white guy with all the sheep, you know, we have that book. And so, like, you know, she's like, oh, I think that's Jesus. Oh, cool. But we've never actually begun to, like, dialogue about Jesus. It's always been Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And she never sings. I always ask her, do you want to sing it? No. And so what I've been doing ever since she was born, her earliest memories of knowing that I love her, her mother loves her, the, the concept that she's gathering that his love is to also associate this person named Jesus that loves her. And so earlier this year, when I was up in Oregon with my, my mom, visiting her on her last chemo treatment, my mom's a musician, so she has a piano and a little microphone, and so Scarlett went and grabbed the microphone, and then this happened, if we can play it. You ready? Ready.
So she gets it. She gets it. That's beautiful. It was interesting in that moment, like I, I took note of this, like, you know, she's, she's gotten that Jesus loves her. And the reason that it's important is because, as I said before, that love is the very first concept I believe us human beings actually come in contact with, that we grasp and understand. It's the unifying language of the universe. No matter where you go in the world, no matter what language you speak, no matter who you are, how old you are, the language of love is understood. And God is so genius because he made the most universally understood principle in the universe to be his nature. You know, 1 John says, God is love. And so the very thing that we all know, no matter where you go on in the universe, no matter who you are, even animals, they know love. And God, in his infinite wisdom, made his nature love. But in fact, it's the opposite, isn't it? We say, we know love, and so therefore we know God. I believe actually it's not love that's universally known. I actually believe it's God is universally known. We just happen to call it love. The notion that every single human being knows the concept of love isn't necessarily the, the noun or the verb of love. It actually is the essence of God. God has demonstrated his nature to the smallest creatures. We just happen to call it love, and then we get surprised when we find that God is love. In fact, I believe God is revealing himself in every manifestation of love. And so it's precious to see Scarlett be able to grasp that Jesus loves Scarlett. As she sings, it doesn't sing, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves Scarlett is how the song goes. And so when we lead with love, you're actually leading with God. When I realize that I lead with love, I love my daughter, I'm actually leading with Jesus, even though I don't even speak his name, even though I don't have to talk about it. When I lead with love, you are leading with God. And to love someone radically is to give them the most real experience with God humanly possible. And because we know God is love, and perfect love does something, it casts out fear. God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. So if we lead with love and God is love and perfect love casts out fear, then that means that we share the kingdom without fear. Which is number two is that you need to leave fear behind. When talking about the kingdom, when bringing people into knowledge of Jesus and relationship with Jesus, it is so critical that you leave fear behind. Not, I'm not talking about courage. I'm talking about what you are communicating the heart of God with. We need to refuse to use fear in sharing the kingdom. It's amazing how many people are actually comfortable with scaring people into heaven. It's phenomenal how many people are okay to scare people into heaven. And I think God cringes every single time that people do that in scaring them into heaven because they're not necessarily running to God, they're actually running away from hell. And so while it might save their soul into eternity, I believe that their heart is lost. And so when we scare people from hell and, and run them into heaven, I believe that we've actually lost that their heart-to-heart -heart connection with God that they could have. Remember the word says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the temperature of hell. I'm going to say that again. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance, not the temperature of hell. So using fear may get the salvation, but you forever, possibly irreversibly, put a wedge in between their heart and God's heart because you've made it about fear. 
My most memorable experiences with Jesus growing up were not marked by love. They, in fact, were marked by fear. Now, I grew up in a loving home. My parents loved me very much. I grew up in the church for the most part. And I'm sure my parents reinforced God loves you, God is okay with you, nothing you say or do will ever disappoint him. I get all that stuff. I know that happened. I know my parents. But you know what? Fear was a greater motivator for me. I actually have the most pronounced memories of all the damaging experiences in between those times and now. And that's the problem is that fear is a great motivator. Fear is a much better motivator than love oftentimes. That's why our signs say, uh, that's why our signs and the city don't say, love your city and therefore put your trash in the waste bin. Instead it says, if you drop your crap on the street, you're going to get a fine, is what it says. Fear is a great motivator. We learn from that. We're like, I'm going to punish you if you get out of line. And that's how we get compliance. That's how we get obedience. But a few memories I have is being in preschool and trying to grasp death. As a child, like wondering, like, how do you explain death? Well, what happens and why is there death? I remember being in first grade and trying to understand hell. I remember being, man, probably even younger than that, like, who is God's father? Like this whole like, concept of eternity. Well, when did God exist and when didn't he exist? And I like, was very perplexed with the non-answers I was getting. I remember in junior, uh, I think in middle school actually, a preacher talking about the rapture and being left behind. Now, I was very, <laughs> embarrassing moment incoming. I had a very strong homesickness, like all up until I was about 30. It's probably about, <laughs> literally, I was a 16 years old going to outdoors school, like, <laughs> like, like crying because I, like, I missed home. I've like been just wrecked with homesickness my entire life. My folks can attest to it. And so the story like the rapture and the left behind is like my worst nightmare ever. And it just put me in wretched fear. I remember in high school, a preacher like banging on the podium, if you die tonight, where would you go? And I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I had given my life to Jesus 40 times up until then, but it was like, it's still, it's never good. I feel like you never can be too saved. Actually, you can be too saved, but that's a different topic. But one thing that is noticeably different from my interactions with Scarlett, in the three and a half years she's been on earth, in every exchange with Jesus, even the time praying with her on her bed, not a single time did I bring up hell, sin, or death. Not a single time. I only had to reference death briefly because Jesus was dead in the cave. And so luckily she didn't ask any follow-up questions about death. I'm sure we'll get to it. But if you're three years old, can you really grasp the concept of sin, atonement, the Trinity? How about that one? How about hell and salvation? Does God, when he says that you are to receive the kingdom like a child and we're to share the kingdom like a child, does God really expect us to open up the Bible and get into the Greek and talk about atonement? I don't think so. When I told her that Jesus lives inside of us, check out her understanding. I was like, Jesus lives inside of us. He lives in mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa and nana and papa. Isn't it wonderful? And Jesus wants to live in you. Her response was, but my juice and my water live there. Jesus wants to be with my juice and my water? I was like, oh man, these are, these are interesting concepts to give to a three-year-old. 
So how am I supposed to describe sin to her? And, 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 and I wrestle with, should I make her feel guilty for doing bad things? That was a real temptation. This, I'm going on the fly here. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need some help. My three-year-old's asking about you, and I don't want to mess this up. This is pretty important. And so a, a brief moment came in where I'm like, should, does she need to feel guilty about her sins in order to be saved? And I went through my entire memory bank of all the passages I know about receiving Jesus in, and accepting salvation. Not a single one has to do about feeling, feeling guilty. Every single one. You believe the Father, you believe Jesus raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Every single one. Now, I'm not trying to say that these aren't important topics. I'm just saying, receiving the kingdom as a child, these are topics that maybe they shouldn't be confused with in the moment that God doesn't care that you can understand atonement in that moment. He understands that you know him. He understands that you desire a relationship with him. The rest is going to come as your understanding comes, but at that moment, I was like, gosh, Lord, do I, do I wrestle with trying to make her feel bad? Here's the conversations I've had with her recently. Scarlett, and she says this one particular thing recently that she found from some other toddler. Of course, not naturally in her. But she's adopted this language, this saying from another toddler that I told her, like, it, I don't like it. It's not nice. And so I'm like, Scarlett, when you say that, it makes other people sad. And I'm not trying to shame her. And she's like, well, it doesn't make me sad to say it. <laughs> So I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know if it's biblical to make, to instigate shame in order to introduce intimacy. That didn't feel like a good combo. And so I asked myself, which is more important, explaining hell or explaining God wants a relationship? Because how you are brought into the kingdom, how you're brought into the kingdom will determine if you associate God with love or God with fear. Were you scared into heaven? Jesus talks about the Pharisees scaring people into heaven. He's like, you've made them twice the sons of hell. Isn't that crazy? It's like, you were ransomed by hell into heaven. You're a son of hell. That's kind of intense. And so she has the rest of her life to learn about sin and about death and about hell. But, it may never, but I may never have another opportunity to have that first interaction where she comes into desirable relationship with Jesus that is based in love, not in fear. Because if I wanted to, to manipulate her, all I have to do is say, Scarlett, there's fear, or there, there's hell, and if you don't accept Jesus into your heart, you're going to go to hell. And you know what's not in hell? Mom and your daddy. And so forever you'll be away from mommy and daddy. Right? Is that not the truth? Is that not what we're saying when we're like scaring people in hell? We're, we're partnering with a a traumatizing thought. I'm not trying to minimize the reality of hell. Don't, don't write me emails and things like that. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying it exists. But you know, I wouldn't mind if Scarlett never knows hell exists as long as she knows the Father. I wouldn't. You know what else I didn't explain? I didn't explain heaven either. That's another tough concept. I didn't explain heaven. You know why? Because heaven, unlike how I learned about heaven, is not a destination. It's an experience. Destina heaven is not the destination of this place, a bunch of clouds and harps and things like that. Heaven is the manifestation of us when we are uninhibited relationship with the Father. We're face-to-face -face with Jesus. We are in the personhood of the, of the Godhead. Heaven is the, is, I'm sorry, Here's what I want to say. 
John 17, 3 says this. It says, this is eternal life, that you would know God. He say, this is eternal life. It's heaven. And it's got pearly gates. And it's got harps and angels. And it has these things like, this is eternal life, that you would know God. Eternal life is a relationship with God. You and I are actually in the first stages of eternal life. We're just changing zip codes when we die. We still are all about intimacy, face-to-face contact, relationship with Jesus. That is eternity, heaven on earth now. And so to understand with heaven is just to understand relationship with God. That's all it is. And so sometimes we need to, what I think is, is we have this danger of motivating people towards heaven. I was in that camp. I thought, heaven is the place where all the things I want are. Roller coasters, water parks, dirt bikes. Like heaven is paradise, right? We, we've conjured up all these material things. We've conjured up all these ideas. And you know what? I kind of got disappointed in heaven when I realized like, that in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God. If you don't like worship, eternity is going to be really lame for you because there's going to be a lot of worship going on. And when we sell it, like, that's the other way. I could have described heaven. I could say, Scarlet, in heaven there's going to be mermaids, there's going to be angels, and there's going to be all these things. And she, I want to go to heaven. Okay, let's receive Jesus. I could have done that. But I didn't. I left out heaven altogether. Because as long as she is in contact and relationship with the Father, she is tasting eternity. So I didn't want to confuse her, and I didn't want to give her a letdown. And so to, and so to cultivate relationship with God now is to cultivate heaven. The third thing is to learn to be patient. I never force the issue. This one's short. You can't rush kids. You cannot rush kids. Potty training is probably the single most fulfilling accomplishment of my life. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. When the first piece of poop hit the water, I like, cried tears of joy. I was like, this is amazing. You're so good, God. Amazing. <laughs> it seriously feels like the most impossible task when you're a parent. You're like, I don't think this is ever going to happen. Despair. You go through like all the phases of grief and grieving. You're depressed. And so we have some friends that they get into like this really like mentality, like we have to have our child potty training. And they do these like potty training boot camps where basically they walk around naked from the bottom half all day and you like hover around them for three days with like a porta potty, like trying to catch it, you know? To like get them going. We've had friends that have gotten their kids are traumatized. Like they just like clam up and don't poo for like weeks after that. And then, like, they're set back an entire year. Like, you can't rush kids sometimes. And so we didn't follow that. We are like, watching all these disaster horror stories from our friends. We're like, this is a terrible idea. And so it backfires. And so what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to take something that I, I desperately want her to have. I want her to know the Father's heart without manipulation, without any carrots hanging on a stick, without any fear of hell. I wanted her to come into a relationship and not have it be rushed. That's why I asked her, Jesus can come into your life anytime. Would you want to pray? Sure. And it didn't matter if she said yes or no at that point. It didn't matter because I didn't want to rush it because God's perspective about salvation is patience. That's why 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slow, but is patient towards you, not wishing any person to perish. So knowing God's heart is that, that not a single person would perish, that I have an opportunity 
to love her, lead with love, leave fear behind, and be patient. And let the manifestation of God's love show itself evident that she knows Jesus loves her. And eventually there's going to be a day where it clicks. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, so I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the, sometimes the guilt, like I need to do more things. I need to like, maybe we should get a bullhorn or a sign. And it's like a terrible idea. And I shouldn't do that. Count the times in the Bible that Jesus sat down and ate with people. It's a lot. Jesus sat down and ate far more than he ever stood up and preached. Jesus sat down and ate far more than he stood up and preached. And if we just would have the mindset that I just need to live a relationship with people. I tell you the truth. The last, I probably led four or five people to Christ. Every single one of them, they came to me. And they were friends. They knew like I loved Jesus. I never had to persuade them. I never had to argue with them. I just was consistent in their life. And eventually the time came up. They're like, I need to have what you have. Which is the fourth thing is to live as as an example. Live as an example. Consider the two passages, Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. At 1 John 4, which says, as he, that's Jesus, as Jesus was, so are we in the world. Are you following? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. As Jesus was, so are you in the world. What does that mean? means you are representing the Father. Your role is to reveal the Father. Jesus lives in you. Remember all those wonderful passages? Jesus was the example of the Father. As to us, so are we to the world. You are demonstrating the Father's heart to the world, whether you are intentionally trying it or not. And so with Scarlet, my very first mission was to be the best example of what a loving father is. The word father, it's such a privilege. Like, it's amazing when I think of God. And like, we, we, we share the same concept of God when you're a father of an earthly child. You share the exact same concept of a heavenly father. I don't know why we're permitted to do that because we have such a possibility to screw it up. And for many of us, the word father is probably one of the more damaging, hurtful words we could probably state. And so I knew that the the concept of father was so important that my mission was, since I reveal the father's heart, she's going to have a direct representation of what God the father is based upon her earthly relationship with me, her father. And so I have to be the best father I know how, because when she sees that God is also her father, she's going to think of me. Me being the best father for her is the greatest theology lesson she'll ever get. There's only one night a week, unless I'm out of town traveling, that I don't tuck her in for bed. It's these nights. It's the only reason. That's the only time. And so I realize that every decision that I make, my example, who I am, is demonstrating to her the Father. And when she comes to the concept, it's going to make sense. The next is to listen for God's voice. Listen for God's voice. The most fantastic news of the gospel is that Jesus is alive, right? He's risen. He's risen indeed, right? You remember, like, that's the great news. That's the great proclamation that he is risen. He is alive. He's not in the cave, Scarlet. He is alive. 
And if he's not in the cave anymore, where is he? He's in me. That's awesome. What is he doing inside you? Not swimming around in my juice and my water. He's living in me to communicate with me. If he's alive and he lives in me, then that means that we talk. How on earth do we lose sight that salvation is about whether you go to heaven and hell and it should be that you're communicating with God? That's the whole point. He's alive, he's in you, he wants to communicate with you. And that's what I said to her. I was like, Daddy talks to Jesus all the time. Jesus talks to Daddy. Jesus is alive, but now he lives in me. And he speaks to me, and I speak to him, and I love him so much, and he loves me so much, and he loves you too, Scarlett. And Scarlett said, I want to hear Jesus too. She's like, but I don't see a phone. How are we going to talk to him? <laughs> so there's no phone? <laughs> oh, sweetie, like, well, we listen to him in our heart. She's like, oh. And she's like, I don't hear him. It's like, no, like he's, he speaks to you through your heart. Like it's through your, your emotions and, and what you feel. And like I didn't even like talking about feelings is a new concept to you. I'm like using all these new terms. You know, like no, God is, lives inside you, but he speaks to your heart. And I told her that when Jesus comes and lives inside you, you'll be able to hear him. I told her promise from John 10, 27, that my sheep hear my voice. John 8, 47, whoever belongs to him hears God's voice. And so at that moment, I'm like, Scarlett, if you want to hear Jesus, he desperately wants to talk to you. He wants to live inside you. And this is a pretty scary thing for a three-year-old, have this nebulous person come live inside you. <laughs> pretty intense, right? I told her that Jesus lives in me. I talk to him, he talks to me. She's like, I want him to live in me, and I want to talk to him too. And right then, I knew it was legit. Because, I mean, you're like three years old, really? Salvation? Come on. Ariel, come on. At that moment, I knew it was legit. Here's why. It was about relationship. It wasn't about heaven. It wasn't about hell. It wasn't about good or bad. There was no guilt. There was no shame. It's like, I want to talk to Jesus. I want to hear him. Can I do that? She wasn't scared by hell. She wasn't pursuing mermaids in the sky. None of that stuff. She wanted to hear Jesus. And so we prayed. I'm like, Jesus, would you come into her life? And she repeated after me, I believe that you exist. I believe that you're in the cave and now you're alive. And would you come into me? So you pray that. And I told her, like, Scarlett, now that he like, is living in you, it's a process to hear his voice. And she's like, I don't hear him. And, and this is before that she, she prayed. I'm like, it's, it's a process. You might not hear him immediately, but just over time, you'll learn to hear it. And so we prayed, and so we were talking there. And, and, and sadly, at this moment, I was like, oh, I should be recording this. I'm such a fool. Here at Epic Life, how did I forget not to turn on my phone and start recording audio? And so... Moments after that, I, I pulled my phone and I just hit record and I'm like, by her. And so I'm just talking to her. And so then I capture this. Do you love Jesus, baby? Yeah. Yeah, isn't he neat? Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Do you feel Jesus in your heart? Mm-hmm. You do? I hear him. You hear him? What is he saying? He's saying... He's saying I love you. Jesus is saying he loves you? Yes. That's really, what else is he saying? Uh, he's saying goodnight, like that. Saying 
Jesus is saying, I love you, and he's saying goodnight? Yes. Where's he saying that from? Because he loves me, and he wants to go sleep with me and sleep with And this went on and on and on. It was amazing. I was so blown away. <laughs> I was like, he is? <laughs> it's like, I know the word says this will work, but I'm kind of surprised right now, you know? <laughs> Do you hear me? He's like, he's speaking. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I'm like trying to like not be surprised. Beautiful thing. And so we, we talk and like all the different things and, and she's hilarious. And so, but it, it's kind of funny because every night I like ask her, is Jesus talking? And she'll tell me things. Except a few nights ago, she's like, Jesus says I shouldn't go to bed yet. I was like, well, Jesus talks to daddy too. And he's saying it's time for bed. <laughs> so it's a, you know, he's talking to both of us. But my mind is just, my theology and, and all the boxes I want to put God into and the skepticism that I, I even had of those moments of her receiving Jesus, like, Pfft. it's like, how do you argue that? My most treasured possession, if you will, right there is that piece of audio. I've like backed it up and sent it like 900 different places. I cannot lose that. The moment that my daughter received Jesus and Jesus made good on his promise, I'm going to dwell within you and I'm going to speak to you. The final thing is this, is to liberate them to replicate. The funny thing about Scarlett is that after she received Jesus, she was telling everybody, Nana, Papa, I have Jesus in my heart. The next day, a little friend came over, I have Jesus in my heart. And the friend's like, oh, who's like, you know, she's Catholic, but I mean, I, I think she's in the family, but she's like totally like, you know, whoa, that's... Interesting, really, you know, like I, it was her initiating it, you know. Here's what's amazing. When Jesus called the disciples, he wasn't like, all right, hey, you're, you're the family, you're good. Now go and enroll, enroll into, some, into some ministry school, some Bible classes, and maybe then you'll be ready to go out. In fact, the moment that he was in a relationship with them, he began to send them out. Go out, cast out demons, heal the sick. Do all those things like you know enough to go out and replicate. And so Scarlett, two nights ago, we're talking, and we finished singing. She sings, and now she prays. She's like, Jesus, thank you for my aerial dress and my frozen dress and, and, and juice and, and cocoa and that Mavericks cast is off. Amen. You know, it's amazing. So two nights ago, she's like, um, does Jesus love Daddy? Yes, of course. Does Jesus love Mommy? Yes. Does Jesus love Mavericks? Yes. And we're like going through like the list. And like she knows these things, but she's going. She's like, does Jesus love Coco? My dog. It's like, yeah, she loves Coco. Is Jesus in Coco's heart? <laughs> what do you say? Which is like squash her joy. No, you know, like, I was like, I said, I, I no, honey, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I said actually. I was like, I'm pretty sure I said no. I, I said no to a degree. I try to like weasel out of it, but I said no to a degree that she says, well, let's go pray for Coco. <laughs> and I was like, you want? She's like, yes, let's get Coco from outside, and let's pray for Jesus in her heart. I was like, it's like 10 p.m. You should have been in bed two hours ago. So I come downstairs. <laughs> Camille again is like rolling her eyes, like what gymnastics are going on now? 
we like call in Coco and like, you know, pull her in like the kitchen and then this happens. Jesus loved me. I love Coco and his heart and Jesus and love me so much. Amen. No, Jesus and his heart. Jesus and Coco's heart? Okay. You want to pray one more? I'm just trusting the faith like a child truce here. I, I mean, maybe we'll all have a dog in heaven now. I have no idea. But I might have the first evangelical, you know, dog that has been here. Anyways. But when someone comes into relationship with Jesus, there's, some, there's something so precious. They want to replicate it, and we need to let them go. I mean, her prayer was, I mean, he's like, that wasn't theological. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She's about the Father's heart in people's hearts, in a relationship. And she was troubled enough that Jesus is not in Coco's heart. And we have to pray for it. It didn't even occur to her, why not? The simplicity of Christ in relationship to him is amazing. So to wrap it up here, again, just to recap. When you think about sharing the love of Christ is to lead with love, to leave fear behind. Don't scare anyone into hell or scare anyone. Don't do that either. But don't scare anyone into heaven. Learn to be patient. Live as an example. Listen for God's voice and liberate them to replicate. Thank you guys. I love you.